All right, here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yes. Science in between. Look at us. Yeah, look, look at us. Seven, in between. And this is episode 78. Diggity, diggity, 78 of your Science in Between show. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh, that's, a, that's a year and a half, man. It is a year and a half. Is it? Did you do the math on that in your I just head? Did. I yeah. just did. 52 <laughs> weeks, half of that is 20. Is that right? No, I think 79 is it, isn't it? Well, s- Half of 52. 78 and 79. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> to be fair. Can't land on a fraction. Can't land on a fraction. <clears throat> yeah. So here we are. To be Look at us. Fair. Hey, this is Ollie. This is Scott. And this is Science in Between. We're glad you're here. We're here to, and, we're here to be fair. And so, you know, Scott and I've been working on these. We've, we've talked about this before. We're doing some professional development uh, around the. Uh, the Pennsylvania science standards. Whew. Yeah. And, and as we were uh, planning, he and I, it, we spent, a, you know, probably what, like two or three hours together the other morning uh, doing some planning. It was great. It was a good time. Total lovely morning. It was a good time spent together, Scott. And, yes. and we weren't even recording. We were just, you know, doing work, you know, just enjoying each other's company, just enjoying each other's company. One of the <laughs> things we, we really came um, and, and talked a lot about was uh, the SEPs. The, and, and I kind of want to frame this a little differently because um you should you know, say the S- that SAPs. Man. I'm going to say. Okay, sorry. Uh, hey, hey, cool, cool those engines not there. My first rodeo. <laughs> cool your engines there, brother. Uh, yeah. So the SAPs are the science and engineering practices, and and one of the things that the uh, the next generation science standards do is say that we can't divorce knowledge and skills. You can't divorce those the things that like you know all of the concepts we're teaching and all the practices of science that we can't teach those things in isolation from one another. And, and I think that would, I thought at the time when we were doing this the other morning was that it would be a really good topic for the show for us, because I don't think it's, it's not just about science and engineering practices. I think it's about just practices in general. Sure. Like, because I think one of the, one of the things that, and this is the first time I heard this word or this phrase was in, in a class with you, was in situ. Oh, in situ, yes. Yeah, situ, situ. Situ. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, I think, em, em, embodies this, right? It embodies right. or reflects this, sure. this concept that we don't, that we can't just teach these isolated skills or habits or processes or whatever and say well someday you're going to need to do this it's like okay you know you have to do it in the process of of actually doing this stuff like we learn the stuff and do this stuff at the same time right you can't really divorce it yeah no i mean it makes me i think i'm I'm almost positive that one of the this is terrible i can't remember but i'm almost positive that one of the articles that we discussed in our sort of important article series was mm-hmm. the Brown, Brown Collins and do good. And that, that situated learning and, and uh, the, the, what is known as the cognitive, cognitive apprenticeship, apprenticeship right. paper. I mean, I think that really, you know, is, is a, a wonderful encapsulation of it. It's why it's such a well-cited article, right. Is, you know, this idea that we think um, that, that knowledge is independent of the context in which it's learned. That's the way we think about knowing things. And their article is really about, no, it's not that way at all. In fact, um, 
there's lots of explanatory pieces in learning theory that are trying to figure out like, why is it that people who learn something in context A don't seem to be able to draw on it in context B? And there's lots of ways that people think about that and lots of examples of it. But I think this idea that like knowing what photosynthesis is, is not the same as being in a class where you're actively trying to understand how plants grow. And part of that is understanding how they create food and so on and so forth. Right. And that context and, and, and working together on it, which is the practice part, which is the skill part, right. Is what makes that knowledge what it is. And, and if you take that away and just ask people to write it in a notebook, it's not just that, um, it's a different way of learning it. It's a different knowing of it. Yeah. Um, and that is super important. Yeah. So one of the things that I, th- I thought we could unpack is I, th- I think I-, I see, and this could be just me misreading, but I, I see you bristle every time I use the word skill, mm. you know, you kind of bristle at that. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's like, maybe it's your, you know, your old guy tendency, but yes. what's that? What's the deal with uh, old man noises? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> what is, what is your, what's your deal with that? Um, well, I think, you know, my fundamental beef with that notion of skill is it, well, first of all, it fundamentally disconnects the knowing from the doing, right? I mean, that's what, yeah. what you say when you say it's a skill, right? Is that it's independent of knowing. It's just this, you have to know the skill. So it, it has the same vibe to me as the scientific method, which is like, yeah. here are the steps that you go through to do a thing. And if you know the steps, then you know how to do a thing. And I think, you know, that, that just is crazy to me. Like for me, the, the because the knowing and the, and the, the, the activity are interconnected to each other, then skill doesn't mean anything in the same way that knowledge has become to some degree co-opted into this like disconnected, decontextualized notion of knowledge. Right. So, uh, but I can't have too much beef with knowledge because it's like a, you know, we won't say the word epistemic though. I just did. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, there, I love the episodes where we can drop some epistemic. I know it's, I wasn't even, I wasn't going to try to say (laughs) you weren't going to try. No, not going to try. I just like that word. I Um, I love it. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's a, that's a thing, right. Is, is that makes me bristle is every time I hear the word word skill. And we were talking about this, you know, your references to it comes up in the framework and, and and we're talking about the NRC's K-12 framework for science education, because that's part of how we're organizing this professional development. And they talk about skills and knowledge being inextricably intertwined in the form of practice. So they basically define practice as that combination of things. Um, but for me, I, I'm more, I take, an, I guess, an even more radical or stronger stance on that, which is like, there is no such thing as the skill. Like if you, if you learn a, a skill the way that skills are typically thought about, what you really have is knowledge, um, but practice uh, requires Knowledge activity. of the thing, knowledge right. of the technique. Right. right? Exactly. It's like, yeah. I mean, I think about like when I, I teach you know, I used to teach like some technology classes for professional development when mm. I was, you know, in a K to like teaching in K to 12 settings. I was one of the folks who, you know, would help with professional development in the summer or on in service days or something. And I just remember how like we teach things like, okay, here's how you click or here's how you click or this is where you click. And it was never really project based, right? It was always just this, you know, showing them how to use the software. And inevitably what would happen 
was that at some point down the road, someone would say, well, how did you do that again? Or, yeah. or they would just forget how to do it because they didn't actually apply it to or connect it to anything, you know, and, 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 and it's just like teaching, it's teaching the techniques without, or teaching the, you know, the abilities of the software without really teaching like, and I think when at some point I made the shift of like, okay, what do you want to work on? What do you want to work on? And then learn teaching the stuff as that is unique to whatever they're working on. Yeah. So it's like, like I, this happens with learning management systems a lot. It's like, oh, hey, here's all the stuff you want to do with learning management systems. Let me show you where the click and click and click. And then right. you look and most people really only know the stuff in learning management systems based on what they actually use, right? Sure. If they're going to use the grade book, they know the grade book really well. If they know the content area, they know discussion boards or whatever, it's because that's the stuff that they use. And so, I mean, I think it's a perfect example of how our our knowledge of something and our skills at using that something are really intertwined because, you know, something as broad as like, like, I don't know, we use D2L and you guys, what use canvas. We use canvas. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you like really dig into what the people, what people can do with their learning management systems, I think it maps really nicely as to what they want to be able to do. Right. And that's, you know, that's the whole idea with practice. Right. I agree. I mean, I think practice, you can tell that story in a second, yeah. um, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, um, I think actually that's a really nice analogy in the sense that in, in many respects, technology, like we, we always have these conversations about technology, about how yeah. it's going to change practice. Right. And, and understanding that technology is, you know, it's, it's a, it's an articulation of a certain part of, or, or kind of practice and it's a reification of it. We're going right. to, here's how, here's how this works and we're going to put it out there, but, but using it like any tool requires practice. It requires yeah. you to engage with the tool. And, and yeah, I mean, this idea that we have these, I think there are still schools that do this, have an educational technology course where it's like, okay, this yeah. week we're doing PowerPoint and next week we're doing learning management systems. And the week after that, we're going to, you know, we, do, we, we have a, a technology class. Okay. We have an instructional technology class. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. No, um, it's just, it's just, it's one yeah. of the holdovers, right? That Right. Well, and sometimes those can be done really well. So no judgments, but, yeah. but this idea that you're going to pull, you know, again, it's sort of like the idea that the skills can be separated from the practice. So right. we're going to teach you these, all these skills of technology, and then you're going to go use them. And it's like, that's just not how it works. Well, the, but the challenge is, is that the removing that or, you know, taking that out of a program requires that the behaviors and skills and practices are modeled in other places. Right. Right. And, or, or, are and engaged that's, in, right. Right. I mean, yeah. And that's the, the heavy lift, right. That's the heavy yeah, lift for sure is, is that you're going to say that, okay, this stuff is going to be modeled someplace else. And those practices are going to happen in a methods class or in a, you know, a disciplinary class. And, yeah. and I will say that, you know, largely that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, well, and, and part of that is that I think our teacher ed programs ha- suffer from the same thing that all of our educational environments suffer from, which is their knowledge focus, not practice focus. Yeah, right? right. So, you, you know, methods courses are not all focused about authentic engagements in teaching practices. There's a lot of like stuff of yeah. like learning words and learning lesson plan structures and all sorts of whatever it is. Right. So, I mean, 
you know, another thing that that feels like an analogy to me that's similar to technology that you that I think is a is a very current issue. I mean, not that the technology integration isn't, but this issue of equity, right? So we teach, like Penn State has a social justice and equity minor in our College of Education, and that, but that's separate, right? It's yeah. not part of the methods course. Now we're we're trying to, well, I think many in, in the college are, but we specifically in science ed are trying to integrate that to say like you can't have equity class over there and science teaching class over here like it has to be together like those things have to happen together you have to be taking consideration of equity when you're talking about science teaching um so i think yeah this idea you know i'm i fundamentally always trying to think about what is the most authentic way to learn this thing, which is to say the most like the real practice. And that was the, that's the fundamental point of Brown Collins and do good is like, if you want kids to learn the thing, they should be, be doing the practice that is as close to where that knowledge gets generated as is possible. That doesn't mean everybody's got to be a little mathematician. And there's also, there's all sorts of nuance to how we can think about what authentic means, but authentic definitely doesn't mean sitting and taking notes and then taking a test at the end. So I'm going to kind of, yeah, we're going to talk about the practice for a second, you know, yeah. that story with, with Alan Iverson, but I'm going to take a little bit of a, oh, um, a, detour. a detour first. So, uh, you know, just recently I, I had uh, lunch with friend of the show, Leslie Gates and, uh, and, Leslie Gates. Uh, and a few other folks. And yeah. um, this concept came up. Um, this whole practice and modeling of practice yeah. and, and uh, how we can with our teachers, with our teacher candidates, with, with folks like help to make the practice, you know, clear. So they're, they're like in it. So like, I'll give you an example because I'm do, having a bad, uh, doing a bad job of uh, explaining it. So let's say like we model a discussion. Right. Like, let's say we have a class of, uh, you know, uh, teacher candidates and I'm modeling active learning or I'm modeling discussion, but we're doing it right. So I'm, we're, we're doing it. And right. how do we do the transition from, okay, you just experienced this. Let's talk about like what we did, like the debriefing, the, yep. and I always call it like the, you know, okay, putting on the student cap and now you're going to put on the teacher cap. Mm-hmm. Right. And how do you like, how do you do that? Because this was the topic. There was like probably like three or four of us teacher educators around this, this table. And we all do it subtly differently, but where mm-hmm. there's always this time of the, the, I don't want to call it like reifying, but it definitely needs to be noticed, right? Yep. It definitely needs to be unpacked and you need to like draw attention to it because that lived experience for students, especially needs to be highlighted and the, and like unpacked and like debriefed and like pulled out so that if we're modeling some sort of practice, like if you're talking like ambitious science teaching and you're going to model that in your classroom, like, okay, this is how we do this. Right. But then at some point you need to not just have the experience, but the debriefing of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I agree. I mean, I think this is a really difficult thing and I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to self-promote here exactly, but I will say like, I I did write an article about, I just, I just, uh, I'm just going to mention in passing in case you're interested, I'll put the citation, the citation, citation, (laughs) (laughs) self-reference. Yeah, I need to get my H index numbers up, man. Oh, look at you. I don't need, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Rock on, man. Yeah. Carry on. (laughs) So my point is like, I talked about this, this, um, in these teacher learning contexts, especially when, when students are in, 
practice, right? When they're in with their mentor teacher or they're in a classroom and they're watching somebody else teach. But I think it's relevant to this example too, right? So they're watching you run this discussion. Well, that debrief is so important because of this, what I've described as the invisible and transparent problem, right? So for you, how you run a discussion is transparent. You, you don't think you're not thinking, oh, okay, so <clears throat> Scott just said this. So in order to make it a little better, like about whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, I'm going to ask this question. And now I really want to open it up and I'm going to connect it to this other kid's idea. So I'm going to like, it's much more improvisational than that, right? That doesn't mean it's not trained and not rigorous, but it's improvisational. So it's, it's transparent to you. you. You don't see it. And then the problem for the student is it's invisible, right? They can't see what you're doing because it's happening in the moment, right? So this unpacking is incredibly important. And I guess what I would say is I, I'm continually working towards um, the idea that all of these spaces should be treated like a rehearsal, right? Whether it's my methods course or whether I'm out in the schools or whatever. And, and which is to say in a rehearsal, if, if there's something of interest happening, you, you break with the thing that's happening and you talk about it, right? Instead of saying, we're going to wait till the end of the lesson, then we're going to talk about it. So, uh, you know, we, we talk about this, like if we do peer teaching in class, like I don't let a kid teach for 25 minutes and then at the end debrief and explain all the possibilities of how they, you know, we could have done differently, what, what was better, what, you know, whatever it is, it's much, from my point of view, I'm, I'm working towards this idea that like, when you see something like pull that kid aside and talk with them or say, let's stop the class and talk about what just happened there while Ollie was teaching. And I think, yeah, for me, that's as much, I mean, you, you have to be careful, right? Because if you do too much of that, then you lose the flow of the thing that you're trying to accomplish. But I do think that doing it in the moment, especially for novices, is, is a very powerful thing because they get to see that transparent, invisible thing because you've pulled it out of your head and, and said, look, let's talk about this and let's see what you see. Let me tell you what I see and let's talk through that. Yeah, that's a, a good way to frame it that transparent and 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 visible and and i think that you know one of the i, I attended a, a conference I, I don't know maybe about two or three years ago it was before the pandemic um in which uh someone was using a a model of supervision during student teaching in which they were giving feedback in the moment mm-hmm. like so they were like yeah. the i think the the student was wearing like a headset or something like yeah. And yeah, yeah. so they were bugging ears, the bug in ear. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they were watching and saying, you know, ask this question or right. frame this differently or, you know, be careful with your, your language or giving them feedback in the moment, because that's when the learning needs to happen. And so much of what we do, I mean, if we're really going to take this idea of practice and skills and, and, and knowledge and, and jump full bore into it. That means that we're going to have to change some things because mm-hmm. you know? it's like, you know, the debriefing of a lesson after the lesson, you know, doesn't change it, right? It doesn't change right. it in the moment, right? right? And the mistakes happen and that none of those mistakes are like, you know, nobody, career nobody gets injured. No, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, these aren't life-threatening situations usually. Right. Like, I mean, if they're like doing some sort of science demonstration where something explodes, that's where you step in. Right. right? Then you step in. Yeah. But, um, but if it's a situation in which they are teaching something, you know, maybe out of order or they made a mathematical error or they did something where, you know, they called something, you know, acidic and it was really a base or something, you know, yeah. those things are like, you know, 
those can be corrected. I, I taught a whole lesson incorrectly. <laughs> and I said, the next day I, I realized it and I said, okay, everyone just tear this out of your notebook. You yeah. know, you know, that happens. Mr. No one, Graham. no, yeah, no one died. No, no one you died. know, but I, but I think that if we're going to talk about like, you know, that we need to marry this stuff, knowledge and practice, knowledge and skills, practice, all that stuff together, then that means that we're going to have to, you know, teach things and, and provide feedback in the moment. And well, I don't know if we have the technology to do that or the manpower to do that in some of our, you know, I don't know how I would do that at, at our institution. I mean, we just have too many student teachers and too many teacher yeah. candidates to be able to do that. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've heard about the bug in the ear. I'm not a fan of that because it feels um, for me, part of what has to happen in that is, for and is for students for let me be clear for pre-service teachers to understand the purpose so when you're just whispering in their ear and saying oh you know you should have asked this go back and ask the kid that right and it's like well okay that may for the student that may improve the lesson and maybe the pre-service teacher can sort of do their own reasoning about why that thing makes sense but it doesn't really make the the invisible thing visible it just sort of transfers it it makes the the pre-service teacher like into a marionette that's just like dancing for like okay (laughs) but they don't know why so i mean and i say that because like one of the things that i've tried to do to address this issue here is i mean i spent years working to um to to create a context or contribute to a context where my pre-service teachers can go. And my, my methods course is now in schools. And so they're, they're in practice. And so you can talk to them. They're, they're, you know, they're co-teaching or helping out and you can sit at the back if they're not teaching and talk about what the teacher's doing and you can unpack it because you can see the stuff that they can't. And so you can say, oh, did you see what they were doing there? And why were they doing that? And then you can talk through it. And you can also, when they're circulating, moving around, talking to groups of kids, you can listen to them and then pull them aside and say, okay, I heard you say this. Maybe in the next one, you want to think about doing something like this. And here's why. And here's some things you could try, right? Or ask them like, hey, did you, how do you think that went? What, what's your evidence for that? Like, what did you hear from the kids at that table? And then, okay, now move along. So um and, and again, that goes to this idea of rehearsals, right? That, that really what pre-service teachers need more than anything is lots of practice that is as close to the authentic practice as we can get it, because that's where they're really going to learn where the knowledge and the, and the skills, the activity yeah. <laughs> will be, will be become practice. So I'm, I'm, you know, the, the physicist in me is the one who always pushes the, you know, things to the, the boundaries, right. You know, yes. the limits, you know, the limit the, case. Yeah. The limit case. So if we were to say, okay, that we were going to like really dig in radically and change teacher education. So it was practice based. Mm-hmm. Then, then I wonder whether schools of education as they look now would be that I mean, because I I guess I I start to lean really heavily into like the Levenwanger situated cognition sure. stuff, yep. where that stuff has to happen in schools, where we start to say, okay, let's take apart the practice of teaching, the practice of of you know instruction and supporting student learning, and break it down to some sort of like scaffold experience where you start to develop this. And then you, when you become an expert at this, whatever this thing is, then we move to the next. And then mm-hmm. just like they 
did with like tailors and butchers right. and you know midwives and all that mm-hmm. and you know we are so far removed from that in most teacher education programs mm-hmm. because like you know in in ours i mean we've just moved it to having you know a couple field experiences more than just one you know yeah. like i think there was you know where you know that was just like plop into one class for a little bit plop into another class for a little bit and then and most of it's observation based you know it is so far removed from a practice-based experience where it's scaffolded and like like the i mean they've spent so much time observing right Mm -hmm. you know in their lives watching people teach you know and and i i would suspect that your your secondary education program isn't much different than that right i mean because they're because yeah, I mean, it is different in the sense that that the my we have a two course method sequence, and the second one is embedded in a school. So, yeah. um, so we do have more of that. We're closer to that, I think, right. than than is typical. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting to think about the edge case, and you know, um, I mean, the other thing about edge cases is they're often not realistic, right? Um, yeah. So I think <laughs> that's what makes them fun, right? right. Exactly. You know, so it's like, I think, hey, you know, if, if the mass of this goes to infinity, what happens? Right, what happens? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then they're fun yes. for, for nerds. Fun for nerds. Yeah, <laughs> for physics nerds. Title. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the tension is, it's a similar tension to go back to the Brown Collins and Do Good about like, well, is science class about making everybody into a little scientist in the sense that they're discovering new knowledge and pushing the field or whatever you want to? And, and the answer is, of course not, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment where what kids are doing is, um, is authentic so they can understand and be connected to the kinds of practice that, that the knowledge that they're learning comes from but they can't do the actual practice. Like that's just not realistic. Like science is an evolving field, like all these fields are. So you you can't put a kid in an actual science lab and say, okay, this is how you're going to learn science. Like, I, well, I mean, I guess you could, but it's not scalable. And it's also sort of insane because they're only going to learn one little piece of science. So, so I think it's probably similar with teaching that, that I think we need to think constantly about how to make teacher education more practice-based um, because that is a thing. And that's, that's the way I think about the work that I do is practice-based teacher education. But the reality is, I mean, well, let me, let me pick an example. Cause I know you guys have PDS, he, he, uh, at Millersville. Mm-hmm. So there's a professional development school and we've talked about this on an episode, even. Yeah. um, but there, there was, there is not any longer a remarkable, uh, PDS here at, at Penn state. And it was, for the final year, it was as close to what we're talking about as an ideal yeah. as possible, right? The methods courses were taught in the schools. The students were in the schools for the whole year. The PDAs, the, the professional development associates that, that supported that work were a mix of Penn State and, and State College area teachers, and they all worked together on, I mean, I'm, I don't want to oversell it as perfect, but it was a lot more like what we're talking about than a typical teacher education program. These folks were really integrated and, um, and the practice was remarkable. And, you know, and my, my wife worked in that program for 10 plus years and, and it's, it's, it's astonishing what they did. Yeah. We modeled our PDS at Millersville uh, really closely to what you all were doing or tried to as much as, 
you know, the constraints, the local constraints allowed. Yeah. I mean, we don't teach many of our methods classes in schools, at least, I mean, not right now. We used to, yeah. um, at the beginning, we, we would teach all of the methods classes out there. Um, but now because of the, the growth of the program and the content areas, cause we're covering all secondary content areas that we bring them on campus. And so there is this sort of divorce of, you know, campus activity and school activity. We're also in like maybe, I don't know, seven different districts. And so that creates some challenges too. Um, but we try to, you know, close that gap as much as possible between theory and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the whole goal with the PDS experience, at least, you know, and right. from, you know, yeah. I just, I just think about like how, you know, really the, the, for, for, I know we switch gears from talking about what happens in classrooms for students yeah. to teacher candidates to practicing teachers. We did all of that in, in the short period of time. But, I, you know, I, I, I like to think a lot about, like, how this applies in do- lots of different contexts, you know. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I think we can bring it back to what this means in the classroom, which, you know, in the science classroom, which is, you know, uh, and we said this in the beginning, but like and we've said this multiple times, I think. One of the things that's interesting about both the NGSS and the new Pennsylvania science standards is this three-dimensional learning. And that means the cross-cutting concepts, this, the um, science and engineering practices, and the disciplinary core ideas. But one of the things that I think is really powerful about that, that is, I don't think people necessarily see when they see them, is that um, you cannot meet the standard. You cannot meet the standard if the students are not engaged in the science and engineering practices. So if you are spending your time with students taking notes while you lecture, even if the the content, quote unquote, is the same, you are not meeting the standard. What you are doing is something else. And right. you, you might be partially meeting the standard, but you're not really meeting the standard. Um, and that's that's a hard thing to get your head around, right? To, to say that it actually it's not just that it's, again, it's not just that it's different information in some way, because on some level it's not, but what it is, is different knowing. And, and that knowing what I think the NGSS says and what the new PA standards say is that knowing that difference in knowing matters and you can't ignore it. So you have to say like, okay, this is part of the deal. Like I cannot, I need to stop thinking about my class as an information dump um, from me to the students. And I need to start thinking about, of it as a community where we engage in authentic versions of scientific practice, which involves sense-making and argumentation and explanation building and phenomenon understanding stuff. 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 Right. We would be remiss if we didn't have an episode of, about practice uh, yes. and talk about Alan Iverson. Right? Uh, yes, please. The story. Yeah, because yeah, this is the, you know, when when Scott and I are by ourselves and, you know, and then chatting about this, you know, inevitably one of us, one of us will go practice, practice, practice. practice. <laughs> this, this is a, a very famous Alan Iverson quote in which this is coming from like, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. When, yeah, probably you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he was uh, playing for the uh, 76ers at the time and he had missed a practice or two. And I think that, uh, and you know, it, he said the word practice 22 times in this interview. And this is the actual quote. And if this, if you're a Ted Lasso viewer, this was going to seem familiar to you because it <laughs> is familiar. He says, we're sitting in here. This is Alan Iverson. We're sitting in here. I'm supposed oh, to wait, be the franchise. Just, just real quick. This is in a news conference, just to be clear. Yes. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. He's being he's being interviewed in a news conference and they asked him about, you know, him missing practice. And he says, we're sitting in here. I'm supposed to be the franchise player and we're sitting in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice, not a game, not the game that I go out there and die for and play every game like it's my last, not the game. We're talking about practice, man. And it just goes on and on. Now, if you're watched Ted Lasso, then you know that, you know, that he took it and turned it. He turned it around on Jamie Sharp. Jamie Sharp. Jamie Tart. Sorry. Jamie <laughs> Sharp. Oh, that's, uh, you know, that's, if that's a baby in head, shark I'm, and Jamie Shark. Yes, that's right. That That's an Ollieism right there. But that's one of the things that if you ever are with Scott and I and we're, you know, talking about practice, inevitably one of us will go practice. <laughs> yeah, because the irony, right, and the reason Ted Lasso, why it's so so beautiful the way he uses it is Alan Iverson is like, practice doesn't mean anything. Like, why right. are we talking about practice? Like, I and, go out and I show up for the game. So if I don't show up for practice, what does it mean? And then, and then Ted Lasso completely turns it around and talks about that, that practice, the most valuable part of what he does. And that's right. where you get to hang with your, your teammates and build, you know, community and work on yeah. things and try new things. And, and that's the most important part of it. Cause that's yeah. the growth, you know, perspective yeah. that Ted Lasso brings to it. So, yeah. and the, and the community aspect, right? That Absolutely. This is, this is where we do what we do like that. We have to do because that's our job. We go out and do that. But the practice is what makes us a team. Like the other thing is just, it's the final outcome of all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cause he adds this at the end with the Ted Lasso. I just looked it up. He goes, not a game, not again. We're talking about practice with your team, with your teammates. The only place we get to play together, we got control over the rest of it. It's like us 11 against those 11. We're talking about practice, man. I'm talking about practice and you can't do it because you're hurt. Right. Yeah. And it's like, that's all about the community, you know? Yeah. yeah. Talking back to Albert, Alan Iverson 20 years later. Like, yeah. Here's, here's what I think of your practice. Right? That's the whole part about br- that Ted Lasso is so brilliant, you know? Yeah. yeah. So many things. Uh, Season three, man. I just can't. I can't wait. wait. I can't wait either. Can't I, wait. I can't tell you the number of people I've recommended that show to, and every single one of them love it. It's yeah. just, yeah. And that's, you were on it early because you're that soccer nerd. Early yeah. adopter, man. All right. So Practice. Practice. Uh, all right. We're talking so, about practice. Wow. We talked about practice. Oh, um, thanks. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, so Joyce. Joyce. Yeah. Joyce. Well, okay. I'll go first this time. Sure. Um, and this is, uh, so maybe I already said this one once. I can't remember. I'm going to say it anyway, because it's, it, it's the thing, right? So, um, so my joy right now is Olympics, right? And it's weird oh. because like it snuck up on me this year in the sense that I feel like I I didn't really remember there were Olympics until like a week. I don't know. I knew that they sort of in the back of my, you know, my lizard mm-hmm. brain, I knew there were Olympics coming up, but you know, I haven't really been paying attention to it. And my, my daughter has been really into it. So she's like watching on the big screen and she's got the iPad up watching like something else. So she's like watching the snowboard half pipe on the, on the big screen. And then she's watching the figure skating on the iPad so she can watch both things at the same time. Multitasking. very, Very heads up display sort of orientation. So, um, so Christine and I, my wife and I have been, you know, watching along sort of as we can, but it just reminds me like, 
of why the Olympics are so cool. Like they, they have, they have all the things, right. They have the, the, the person who's supposed to win, who doesn't win. There's the person yeah. who's not supposed to win, who does win. They're the, they're the come from behind. There's the, you know, there, there's just all the stuff in sports that you get, but it's all, you know, unlike most sporting events where you just watch the one game and then you wait a week, this is all just like, right yeah. one after another and you're watching curling and then you're watching snowboarding and then you're watching skiing and then you're watching speed skating and then you're and i don't know who most of these people are and it's not really about that it's just like this idea of competition and 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 uh and people doing something that they love deeply and and doing it well and yeah watching the emotion of it yeah. Like Sean White doing his I was, last I, snowboard. I was watching that last night. I was watching it too. Yeah. And, and, and he, watching Sean White. And when he did his last run, my wife and I, Tanya, we were sitting there watching it. And I go, this would be like the best story in the world if he like just rocked it and, and meddled. And, yeah. and he was and, so close. But that the year that he didn't meddle, he, he finished in the same place. He finished in fourth. Yeah. So it was, it, you know, it was like, and, and in some sense, like, it's not really about that. So I think yeah. that was great too, but to see his reaction and, and the other yeah, just how reaction like, to him, like, yeah, just the amount of them, like the just sheer amount of emotions, not only from him, but from others as well. Just like yeah. how much of that was on display, was just really, really cool. You know, yeah. cause it was, you know, and also comes back to like, these are competitors, but it was also this huge community of people that were all yeah. like standing around, like, you know, uh, you know, embracing him. And, you know, yeah. it was just, yeah, it was great to see. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go in a completely different direction. And uh, I, I have a uh, binge listened. Is that a thing? Binge sure, listened? Yeah. Oh, of course sure. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the Trojan horse affair. Oh, it's on my list. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. So um, I, I won't go too deep into it because it, it is sort of a mystery and I don't want to spoil it for, for folks. Um, but in England in 2014, there was a letter that was found um, that talked about there was a, a an Islamization. That's the mm-hmm. word that they used of schools in Birmingham. And so Birmingham, England. Yeah. And um And what happened was this huge investigation. People were, you know, pulled from schools, teachers and governors were pulled from schools, some of which um, have their license, had their license revoked, were banned from teaching again. And and, in this letter, um, they don't know who wrote it. They don't know where it came from. It just appeared. And so Trojan horse, and it's called a Trojan horse because they were, you know, the, 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 the claim that was made in the letter was that um, folks were coming in to try to, you know, insidiously take over the schools. Right. And then slowly the approach, the Trojan was, horse was their approach to that. Right. Right. Yeah. And that trope um, has been used in, in our po- politics, you know, that, that mm-hmm. this is something that's happening in America that, yeah. you know, um, but it's a really fascinating listen, not just about religion and not just about schools, but also about journalism and Mm -hmm. politics and what it means to like to um, investigate something in an unbiased way, but also, and from a multiple perspectives, because there were some folks in the, in the government who were looking at this and, and probably, you know, should have done things differently. And certainly Mm -hmm. the journalists involved and yeah, there's lots uh, it's it is one of those um things that you can really sink your teeth into and depending on where you come from 
you can analyze and discuss this from very different perspectives. And so I yeah. highly recommend it. I binge yeah. watched it. And, I mean, binge listened to it in like four days, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been, it's on my list. I mean, the guy who did it did S town, which was yeah. fantastic. And it's a Sarah Koenig joint. Cause she did all the editing and producing. Yeah. It, so, and Ira um, glass is involved too. And so, and that guy, come on, come on, come on. That guy. Practice? Uh, yeah. Practice? Ira Glass is awesome. You that know, guy that, practices. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. All right. So 78 is in the books, my friend. In Woo. the books. Whoop, whoop. Next time in the 79. Yes, it is. Look <laughs> it at how is. happy you are. I am. But I don't know why it. I'm keep so your happy. Dry. Just I'm keep, just, just saying 79 is think next about time. It. Just think about it. Just saying. It'll, it'll keep you happy for the whole week. <laughs> I, I woke up this morning going, oh, 78 is one step closer to 79. <laughs> but who knows why? Oh, you have a sad little world. I got. I do. Yeah, I do. But I find small joys. Yes, I admire that. <laughs> hey, well, we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.